1: Hello and welcome. You're listening to Philosophy for Our Times, a podcast brought to you by the Institute of Art and Ideas. This week, our focus is on universal basic income, an increasingly discussed policy idea under which all adults would receive a guaranteed payment irrespective of their wealth, background and economic status. To debate its merits are two hugely influential speakers, Guy Standing, a professor at SOAS and founding member of the Basic Income Earth Network, and Deirdre McCloskey, in her own words, a literary, quantitative, postmodern, free market, progressive Episcopalian, Midwestern woman from Boston who was once a man. Your host? None other than Peter Tatchell.
2: Once dismissed as a utopian fantasy, the idea of a basic universal income has now hit the mainstream. With new technologies, support from across the political spectrum, and advocates from Stephen Hawking to Mark Zuckerberg, it's no surprise that people have begun to take the prospect seriously. Universal basic income, is it time? We've got two fantastic speakers, Guy Standing, he is the world's leading authority on universal basic income. Deidre McCloskey, acclaimed libertarian, author, and historian. In 2013, she received the Julian L. Simon Memorial Award from the Competitive Enterprise Institute for her work examining factors in history that led to the advancement in human achievement and prosperities. So I'd like to ask uh, Guy Standing to open tonight's, today's debate.
3: Well, thank you very much. I've been working on basic income for over 30 years, and for many of those years, I was regarded as mad, bad, and dangerous to know. And as Peter's just said, suddenly I'm becoming respectable. I'm becoming very worried about this because I've never wanted to mix with a company that many of those who are coming out in favor. But I think it's indicative of a perfect storm of factors that are precipitating basic income to the middle of our political discourse. And before I say what that perfect storm is, let me just make it clear to those of you who are not familiar with the debates, that what we mean by a basic income is that every man and every woman and every child at a lower level would receive a regular payment from the state in money form with no conditions no behavioural conditions. You don't have to do this or that or that or prove something. You get it as an economic right. And it would be non-withdrawable. It would be a permanent citizenship right or a legal resident right. We can come back to the issue of defining what we mean by universalism. But the essence of it is that everybody would have basic income security. Now, you can have a very low level and you can raise it, or you can have a higher level, etc. That is a separate issue. But the important thing is to realize that the reason someone like myself supports moves towards having a basic income for all of us is fundamentally ethical, not economic. It's ethical, first of all, because it's a matter of social justice. If you go back to the history of the discourse around basic income and you go back to the Charter of the Forest in 1217 and through Thomas Paine and so on, essentially what we're saying is that the wealth of all of us, the income of all of us, is far more to do with the efforts and achievements of many generations before us. And if you accept private inheritance of wealth, something for nothing, if you notice, then we should have a sense of a social dividend on the collective wealth because we don't know whose ancestors produced the wealth. Maybe yours, maybe yours, maybe mine, I don't know. We don't know. And in that sense, we need to give a social justice orientation for it. Now, if you are religious, I'm not religious, but if you are, and many people have come at it from a religious point of view, You can say that God has given us unequal talents, and in a sense, a basic income would be a compensation to those who don't, for one reason or another, have the same talents as others. You can also approach it as a matter of ecological justice. So for me, the justice orientation of a basic income is fundamental. The second ethical reason is it would enhance freedom. It would enhance freedom in the libertarian sense, it would enhance freedom in the 19th century liberal sense, in the sense of avoiding a paternalistic state. Classic statement from T.H. Green is you can only be moral if you're in a position to be moral. And it's also a matter of freedom from a republican freedom tradition. It's a sense of giving people, even a small amount, the ability to say no and the ability to feel that you are not subject to power that's unaccountable. And the third reason, and then I'll stop, but I think this is fundamental, is that almost by definition a basic income would give people basic security. We are facing a plague of insecurity, and the psychologists have taught us that insecure people have a suffering of a lower IQ, a smaller mental bandwidth. They cannot behave rationally, because they are under stress. And that's a reality. Security is a human need, and a basic income would move us in that direction. Before we go any further, it's not a panacea. It has to be seen as a 21st century part of a progressive politics.
2: Thank you.
0: To use this word I don't like much, I'm, I'm a libertarian, but I'm a bleeding heart libertarian. <laughs> I am a Christian, I'm an Anglican, uh, the Archbishop of uh, Canterbury is not first in my thoughts, but I think he's very nice. <laughs> um, and, and, and so I'm, I'm, uh, uh, um, I'm, I'm a liberal, I'm a 19th century liberal. But I, I would call it a, 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 a party or a view that wants to treat everyone like adults, wants to be fair, and I certainly strongly agree with, with uh, Guy's point that an unconditional subsidy to people without, as beha- you said, without behavioral conditions. you. Can't drink, you can't drink, uh, you can't be gay, you can't be this, you can't be that. I, I of course, don't want that. And that, that's a very attractive part of this, this, this way of thinking. And indeed, it's been an attractive part for a long time among economists. In the 1950s, James Tobin, mildly on the left, a Keynesian at Yale, and Milton Friedman, a co- former colleague of mine at the University of Chicago, um, both proposed a what they what, what, what Milton called the negative income tax to gi- give exactly such a supplement to the poor with the proviso that we drop all the conditional grants that we, st- that we stop trying to push people around in a way that's the basic liberal idea and I- historically speaking it's very Strange. It's an 18th century conviction among a bunch of intellectuals—Mary Wollstonecraft and and, and uh, Voltaire and ma- and Adam Smith—and <laughs> uh, um, <laughs> uh, it it it's a uh, uh, so so it's it, it's it's the idea that the the, the 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 liberal idea is that you ought to treat people with respect as adults and let them make their own lives. And as a Christian, as this bleeding heart part, I'm very willing to help them Um, on their own terms, not on mine. I don't insist that they uh, mm, pledge allegiance to the Chicago School of Economics or something (laughs) like that. (laughs) Um, But my, my worries about it is that I don't think universal makes a lot of sense. And you can you you, you you can see the problems. Here, here's one, ethically and philosophically. Why not a world universal income? What's this about the British? What or the Americans? Why should people or Swiss? Why should people defined by a certain national border be the ones who get the, the subsidy? I mean, is it is it not? Don't we all have a cosmopolitan Ethical feeling that the average Chinese or Indian or Sub-Saharan African or South American deserves prosperity. So there's that. There's the, the what can we say the 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 arithmetic problem. And here, I, uh, um, guy knows much more about this than I do. I'm, he's he's a world expert on it. I'm just a um, and Anglican, <laughs> uh, <laughs> And a libertarian. And a libertarian. Uh-huh. A Anglican, libertarian, that's not a bad combination. But uh, anyway, the here, here's the problem. Here's one problem. If we give it to all adults, okay? Suppose we give 20,000 pounds to every adult. It's a big amount that we're going to put through the government. Unless your proposal is, and it may be, that we radically take away the benefits, like the national health, or national defense, such as it is, or education, stop paying for universities. If we don't do that, it means that what? Three quarters of national income, 80% or something, will go through the government. And I don't want, and neither do you, that much to go through the government. Let me just make one point. The share of national expenditure in France by the government is about 55%. And Henry Kissinger is not my favorite person, a war criminal. um, uh, He he once joked that France was the only successful communist country. (laughs) But most communist countries are not very successful. Thank you.
2: I'd like to ask you Guy, um, the common argument against universal basic income is that it would put people or put some people off working and make them more likely to be lazy and just take the money and not contribute. And the second point is, how is it going to be paid for?
3: Okay, those are two minor questions, so (laughs) I I will try to be uh, brief in response. The first thing in responding to Deirdre is that We have a means-tested system in this country, behavior-tested system. What that means is we create incredible poverty traps. So anybody who manages to get benefits, if they try to improve their livelihood by going into the sort of low-wage jobs that they can get, face a marginal income tax of 80% or more. Uh, That figure comes from the Department of Work and Pensions and it's a, it's a figure that's probably an underestimate. What that means is that there's a disincentive for people to take low-wage jobs. It's a terrible barrier. We've got to overcome that. It'd be far better if we made it so that everybody as a right received that basic income, and then every earned pound, you pay the standard rate of tax, 32% or whatever, and you claw back from the wealthy through raising the income tax rate by 1% or something like that, whatever the calculations might be at the time. It's actually much more efficient and equitable because one of the biggest problems we have with means testing, and that's inevitable with targeting, is you have extremely high what we, we economists call exclusion errors. As a result of stigma and false decisions and sanctions, Millions of people who are actually entitled to receive the benefits don't receive them. And this is a problem in every means-tested system in the world. And I think that this realization that in fact we should give it to everybody and then claw back with taxes is one thing. The second thing to answer Peter's questions, a basic income would increase the amount of work that is done, not decrease it. It is a fallacy of enormous proportions. And I have the privilege of living long enough to have actually been able to put into practice something in which I believe. We have done pilots, and I agreed with Deirdre's point that we must make this an international crusade. I've done pilots in India and in Africa, where we provided thousands of people with basic income. And those basic incomes were unconditional and led to improvements in nutrition, improvement in health, improvement in schooling, improvement in economic status of women, improvement in of economic and social status of disabled people, yeah. and liberated them to become more productive and more energetic, more confident. And we must trust people. I don't believe if we had a £100 a week paid in a basic income, we're all going to suddenly become lazy. We want to improve the lives of our children, ourselves, our communities. For, for heaven's sake, trust people. So I think we're agreed on that. Can
2: now I, I, just want to just to I just stop you there? I just stop you there. I want to g- give you a chance to come well back I on you those know, points. We
0: liberals agree with a lot of this. We certainly agree that um, – uh, but there – it's not true that you have to have an 80% marginal tax rate on d- additional income. That's what the, negative, as you well know, Guy, that's what the negative income tax is about. It's about making the marginal tax rate on the, the extra dollar you get if you if you go work low, say 10%, and then it gradually rises. So instead of having this kink, as we call it, it sounds kind of interesting, but it's not. <laughs> this kink in the, in, in, in the budget line, you smooth it out. So, But uh, that's not a fundamental objection to this. I, I think the international point is a bother because, what, you're going to bring every person in the world up to the no. average income of the world, but I, I in, in India, as you know, there's a proposal to um, have a $6, dollar I think it is a month, um, ba- basic income given to everyone and in exchange for killing off a bunch of corrupt and inefficient and m- disincentive filled programs but I, I be before I agree with you entirely I want to be I want you to agree with me agree with me on one thing that we do need to get rid of all these other programs if you aggr- we agree completely that we want to trust people we want them to make their own spending decisions and make their own own decisions in life. So I'd, I'd, I'd be very interested to know if you want to drop the National Health Service. If you do, then I'm on your side.
2: Can I just stop you there and just go back to Guy and ask you, I, I want to ask you s- very specifically, in the UK, at what level would you set the universal basic income? How much would that cost? How much would it, I'm not uh, how, how mu- how would it be paid for? And then finally... What would happen to all the other benefits?
0: Okay. All those minor questions.
2: Yeah.
3: <laughs> First of all, I believe the economic right to a basic income should be treated separately from public services. I believe strongly, impassionately, that we need a stronger national health service. I need, I believe strongly we need a stronger public state education system. We need better services for our disabled. We need better housing policies. All of these things should be treated separately, and we need a state to help do those things. That's part of our community. That's part of our solidarity. Uh, that we have a difference of that, because the libertarians want to abolish the
2: state. No,
3: we don't and, uh, well, many of them do, yeah. many of them yeah. do.
2: Uh, can, can you come back and answer my question, which lots of people in the audience would want to know. What level would wait, you set okay, it? Wait a minute. I agree with you, H- but how I is wanted it going to be settle
3: paid? this. I agree. I agree. We need to move slowly to gradually build up a basic income. And I believe passionately that we should establish a sovereign wealth fund, just as the Norwegians did when out of North Sea oil, the proceeds. So they built up a capital fund, democratically controlled, respecting the Hartwick rule of intergenerational equity. And today, every Norwegian is technically a millionaire. The Alaska Permanent Fund was a similar thing. They took the proceeds from the commons, in a sense, and built up the fund. And as the fund builds, you increase the rate. So to start with it it would be a small, but it's a journey. It's a transformational journey. You build it up. And I'll give you one statistic that I think you will understand. Every year in this country, there are 1,156 tax reliefs. That means they enable certain groups to have a lower rate of tax than the ordinary person. Of those 1,156 tax reliefs, almost all of them are regressive. In other words, they tend to increase inequality. I asked the Treasury for freedom of information data on how much that results in lost revenue to the exchequer. And they don't have full estimates, so they say, of all 1,156. They're very inefficient, these boys. <laughs> but they do for the top 209. And the top 209 come to 403 billion pounds of income foregone. And if, if you don't know what those figures mean, that's more than we spend on the NHS and our education system. So don't tell me we can't afford it. Don't tell me we can't
0: afford it. Okay. Uh,
3: do you want to hear more from the world's leading thinkers if the answer to that question is yes subscribe to iai.tv for unlimited access to thousands of debates talks articles academy courses and live events are you bored of the surface level news politics sports and entertainment coverage on your newsfeed? go deeper Get the philosophy behind the news and get the latest big ideas from the world's leading thinkers on subjects at the core of the human condition, life, the universe, and everything in between. It's free for the first month and there's no commitment to pay, so subscribe now to understand the world beyond the surface
2: level. Uh, I'm on your side, but I still want you to answer the question. What would the the initial basic income be? And how much would it cost to fund across the whole of the UK?
3: I think it would start at £50 a week, but that's not what I would want it to be. I would want it to be more. And as you raise the amount, fewer people would be subject to means testing because their income would rise above. So you start saving straight away. Health would improve as more and more people have enough security that they're not stressed out of their little minds. And that reduces the burden on our national health service.
2: Okay, but answer the question. I
3: have answered the question. Fifty
2: pounds pounds a week for every person in Britain, how much is that in total? And how would you fund it in the absence Uh, of your excellent idea of a sovereign wealth fund?
3: uh, You would not do quantitative easing. When the crash came, Bank of England gave quantitative easing to the tune of £375 billion.
2: Yeah, but that was in the past. That was in the past. We want to know how we proceed now.
3: Let me answer, please. Now that amount of money would have been enabled everybody to have fifty pounds for three years. Okay? Now we're talking seriously. There are many ways of skinning a cat. I believe we have to be not trapped into a back of the envelope calculation by this, by this, by this, sixty-two million by my I think we've got to say we're on a journey to gradually build up the capacity to do this. So I don't like to be trapped on any particular figure. I'm not I trying would, to trap uh, you.
2: The <laughs> public wants to know. And I you know. won't win the argument unless you can give concrete specifics. No, because the I public disagree. is skeptical. I
3: disagree. I disagree. We're on a journey. We're on a journey. <laughs> we want, I want to say we move in a direction. I, w- I want to say it that. I don't say that when we start a journey, the famous Mao step, every long journey starts with a single step. we've got to do it as an evolutionary building and then we can okay, take people okay. with us.
2: did you have a thought?
0: Well look, uh, I, I, I don't want to mock you, dear, but you didn't <laughs> da- but, you, but, but, you, but you didn't answer the question, but that's okay because I, I understand your point and, it, 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 and and a lot of it I agree with this, this disgraceful corporate welfare that you're talking about, these ridiculous um, subsidies to, <laughs> well, look, here's, here's, here's one. W- Want to c- complain about ground rents in London? Well, all the, all the uh, uh, restrictions and subsidies and so on to the, to, to the Duke of Westminster, I mean, for crying out loud. So we're, we're in great uh, agreement there. But, but understand the basic journey that you're on. You're on the basic journey of socialism and you may say, oh, hey, that's good, hey, let's do socialism. But the trouble is that, <laughs> that when you, I- in, and Guy and I agree that a little bit of socialism is good for you, uh, uh, a, honestly, a, a, um, a, a safety net and a minimum income. But if you add that to the National Health Service and add that to the expenditure by the state on education and add that to the blah, 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 Then what you've done is you've got 80 pence out of every pound you earn, 90, 80, 75, going through the government. Now, as a matter of fact, for Britain, I would not be appalled by thoroughgoing socialism of this sort. For Sweden, I wouldn't worry much at all. For Denmark, go ahead. But that's a tiny part of the world population. Most governments are incompetent. If you, d- if you think that's wrong, go to Italy. <laughs> um, and, 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 you know, and they're, and they're corrupt. And you give 80, any sentient Italian knows, you don't want to give 80% of the national output of Italy to the government. It would be insane, pazzo.
2: Can I say that I totally agree with Guy I've, be, I've been campaigning and supporting at universal at university income for decades along with my colleagues in the Green Party, but we know on the doorsteps people want to know what level you're setting at, how it's going to be paid for, so that's why I'm trying to press you. This is not to challenge or dispute your idea, it's because we need to deal with the real practical politics. How do we persuade the public? The public knows this has to be paid for. They want to know how much it's gonna be and how much it's gonna be paid for. If you don't wanna say, uh, you just wanna stick to the general principles, that's fine. But I think in the real world of practical politics, to win the arguments in the political sphere, politicians and political parties and campaigners have to be able to give the public answers.
3: Of course they do, of course they do. I, I, I think they are also intelligent enough to know that you're not going to get this overnight. I think they're intelligent Mm -hmm. enough to say, I understand where you're trying to go. I understand these things. I've been asked to speak to over 400 uh, audiences about basic income in the last four or five years. And when you start talking to people in the precariat, in this country and other countries, very quickly they understand. They understand we're not going to have a revolution overnight. They understand that this has to go in a direction, and that we are—that's w- the important thing. Natalie Bennett, your leader, she was asking me before when she was going on television, and she just froze on television, okay, when she was asked this question. We shouldn't be trapped. She was trapped that day, and I understand why you're traumatized because your leader, <laughs> your leader at it's the it's time was it's traumatized. A, it's not about <laughs> being trapped. <laughs> she She wrote to me immediately afterwards and said, "Guy, anyhow, she's a nice person." <laughs> But I want to I say something to Deirdre. I want to say something to Deirdre, and then I will uh, uh, shut up on that point. Uh, Deirdre, one of Deirdre's heroes is Milton Friedman, to whom she referred earlier. And he, he supported, it back in the 1960s, a negative income tax. And he, he came to realize that, in fact, a negative income tax is not the same as a basic income. A negative income ta- tax is family-oriented, and it's repaid after... The end of a tax year. It was factored back. And he came and he decided to join our network, and you're all free to join our network, Basic Income Earth Network. Bien. Please join. We need every member possible. And he understood and he wrote to us and he joined bien. There is a difference between a negative income tax and a basic income. There is a difference, a huge difference. And I think I think we have to realize that we are on a progressive agenda where ecological issues, r- progressive redistribution issues are back on the agenda of politics. Yeah. We need a new progressive
0: politics. No, we don't. <laughs> <laughs> we need, what, what we need is a new freedom. And, and the trouble is, you know, I, a, as I said, if you've got a well-run country, and Britain by comparison with mine is well-run, but, but, but that's, the trouble, that most governments, and indeed a government with such massive control of the economy, is not going to be the country you want to live in. You think it is, but you're wrong. It will, th- it, it, it as a famous British historian, Lord Acton said, ap- power tends to corrupt. Absolute power corrupts absolutely. And to have that much to say about, now it's bad enough as it is. I mean, see, here, here's one problem among many, and I'd be very interested to hear what Guy thinks about this. The trouble with government governance is that it works on violence. Y- if you don't pay your taxes, you go to jail, I and mean, damn right, I mean, you should go to jail if you don't pay your taxes, but understand that it's the fist behind it. You can alter other people's incomes in your favor if you can use the government, you can't do it through a market. So you see, we're we're handing over massive parts of our life if we go if we do what he's suggesting and don't cut out the other ways of helping poor people. Um, I- 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 if we I- if I, I want to help the poor people and I want to help them, I don't want them to be bossed around by violent violence bureaucracy. A big government is worth capturing. It's worth corrupting. Because if it's got a lot of power, it can regulate you and stop you from opening Uber and and do this and that and the other thing, then it's worth the taxi companies seizing seizing control of it. And this is, I could give you a million examples of this, so could Milton Friedman, if he were not dead.
2: (laughs) Can 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 I put it... Can I put it to both of you that <laughs> the kinds of inequalities and injustices that we face are very much rooted in a private enterprise free market system. No. And, and, l- well <laughs> <laughs> and that really, to address these issues, instead of a universal basic income, or perhaps as well as a universal basic income, we need to fundamentally reorganize and restructure our economies and the way they operate.
0: Well, I, I l- l- let me just start because I can be very brief. No. (laughs) Um, And and just one more sentence, which is that it's a basic socialist belief since the middle of the 19th century that the problem is private property. Mm. Um, I've written a book
3: called The Corruption of Capitalism. We have the most unfree market system ever constructed a gradual construction of an architecture which rewards the rentiers, the people who are extracting income from property, physical property, financial property, and most of all, intellectual property. So we have a system of private power, which has built up huge monopolistic incomes for the billionaire's plutocracy. They're the biggest threat, and they are corroding democracy of any sort. It's not the size of the state. It's the fact that our state, like the US states and others, have been corrupted by lobbyists, by power of big capital. Okay? So it's not the size of the state. It's allowing big capital to become so powerful. And if you think the answer to that is small government, I think you're asking the wrong questions. We need to empower ourselves. We need to empower movements that demand changes and change the nature of our democracy to make it much more of a deliberative democracy so where the ordinary person has a stronger voice. But these are issues separate from basic income. And I want to say that uh, the idea of a basic income is not a great socialist conspiracy. It is a a small way of empowering people a small way of giving you voice, giving me voice, a small way of enabling us to feel a little bit more confident that we can take on bureaucrats. We can say no to oppressive relationships, no to an exploitative employer. It's a a small measure, but anybody who understands, and we've seen it in our pilots in various countries, in Canada, in the United States, in, in, in Africa, in India, once people have a little bit more power, they stand up to bureaucrats. They stand up to exploitative money lenders and so on. A bit more. Not, not ideally, but a bit more. Okay. And I think that's what we should be oh, talking about. On, like. on that
2: point, but I want to thank both our speakers. for speaker <laughs> and, and a big thanks to all of you.
1: Thanks for listening to this podcast, which was brought to you by the Institute of Art and Ideas. Let us know what you think by tweeting at IAI underscore TV with the hashtag philosophy for our times and subscribe for more weekly podcasts.